Turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. If you're new with us today, so glad that you're here and uh, thankful that you took time out of your Sunday to come visit us today. If you'll notice, there's a connection card in the seat back pocket in front of you. If you wouldn't mind filling out with as much information as you're comfortable sharing with us, we'd love to get to know you better and know how we can better serve you. And of course, you can keep the pen that is there as well. Uh, that is our gift to you. But I would love to get to know you if I have not met you yet. We're just thankful that you're here with us today and chose to worship with us on this day, the final day, the final Sunday of October. John chapter 18 is where we are this morning. John chapter 18, starting in verse number 15, we will read down through verse 27. John 18, verse number 15. The Bible says, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. This is God's word. The title of the message this morning is down but not out. Down but not out. The original 1976 film Rocky, many of you may be familiar with this, has a scene where Rocky is talking to Adrian about his upcoming fight against Apollo Creed. And he knows that he may well lose this fight, but it doesn't matter to him. This is a turning point in the story, and he says, quote, I was nobody, but that don't matter either, you know? Because I was thinking it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens my head either, because all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed, and if I can go the distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that it weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. 
In that scene, Rocky establishes in the movie that the most important thing to him is not necessarily winning the fight. It's being able to stay with it till the end and be standing when the bell rings. Peter, unfortunately, does not win in our text today. He gets knocked down. In fact, he fails miserably. But as we will find, he does not remain and wallow in his failure. In fact, what our text teaches today is that Jesus, in fact, prevails over our failures and restores us to proper service for him. And I want us to look this morning at three ways. I want us to look at how Peter's denial of Jesus actually gives us hope. Down but not out. The first thing I see in this text is, that, is this. Our small denials reveal large failures. Our small denials reveal large failures. If you notice with me, Peter denies Jesus three times, just as Jesus predicted that he would in the text previous to this. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's about to go away He's about to be departing from them into a place where they can no longer follow him. And Peter says to Jesus at the Last Supper, Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus, if you go to death, I will die with you. You remember this. And Peter is so adamant about being with Jesus to the very end. And Jesus tells Peter, no, you're not. In fact, before the rooster crows the next day, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter follows Jesus after he's arrested from a distance. And Peter follows Jesus. Jesus, if you would, paint the scene in your mind. It's, it's about one o'clock in the morning. Jesus is being led by this band of soldiers with his hands bound behind his back. He's walking into the high priest's house. And Jesus is led through the gate to the high priest because Annas wanted to see him first. He wanted to get a glimpse of his prize. Peter could not get in. He did not have the credentials. He did not have uh, the network. And so John, who is the writer of the gospel, was known to the high priest through some family relationships, and he gets the servant girl to open up the the door to let Peter in. And as Peter is slinking into the high priest's courtyard, the girl looks at him and says, you're not with Jesus too, are you? And Peter, what does he do? He says, no, 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 I'm not. He walks right in, finds a place by the fire, begins to warm himself. The first denial. The second denial is found in the latter part after Jesus is recorded to have been on trial. Verse 25, now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And there is an exclamation point there. You see, the first time Peter denied Jesus, it was said in passing. It was hesitant. It was just a little denial. The second time, Peter says it more emphatically. He's got an exclamation mark at the end of it. There's more witnesses around him that ask him, you're not with Jesus, are you? And again, he says, I am not. And the final denial is found in verse 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again. 
And it doesn't record it in John's gospel, but it does record it in Luke chapter 22. That Peter then begins to curse and to swear and to emphatically deny Jesus. The point is this, church family. Sin may be hard at first, but the more you sin, it becomes easier. It becomes more emphatic. It digs you deeper into a hole so that you are in, before you know it, you're in so far, you're denying Jesus so much that it becomes second nature to you. In fact, you're adding to your denials of him by vulgarly saying that you do not know, nor are you associated with Jesus Christ. Sin has a habit of taking us farther than we ever want to go. Peter first denies him hesitantly. He then denies him emphatically, and then he denies him profanely. Sin gets easier every time you sin, my friend. Peter certainly understood that at the end of this night. And, you know, in Luke twenty two sixty one, it says that the Lord Jesus, after Peter denied him for the third time, Luke twenty two sixty one 61 says that Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Peter was in the exact same room that, Peter, that, that Jesus was in while the Lord was on trial. And in fact, in a cruel, ironic, poetic frame of reference, Jesus is standing on trial for the sins that Peter is committing in the same room that he's standing in. Jesus is standing on trial for Peter, and Peter does not have the guts to say, I'm with him. Our small denials lead to large failures. Have you ever found yourself in Peter's position? Have you ever found yourself saying, I want to leave, but I can't. I want to be bold for Christ, but I can't. All I can do is sit here, miserable, scared, and when somebody asks me if I'm a follower of Christ, I am ashamed to say that I am. We criticize Peter, church, but how often do we deny our Lord? How often do we fail him? How often do we avoid praying in public? How often do you avoid conversations about Jesus? How often do you take a stand against those who hate Jesus? Are you ashamed of him? Are you afraid of what you'll lose? Are you afraid of the inconvenience, perhaps, that it will cause you? These small shortcomings, these small denials, these small betrayals give way to greater failures and sins than we could ever realize when we first start out. On June 5th, 1976, the Teton Dam in eastern Idaho collapsed, killing 11 people and 16,000 livestock. The dam cost $100 million to build, and the federal government paid over $300 million in claims relating to this failure. The reason the dam collapsed was that the materials used to build it slowly eroded away internally over time, allowing the water to slowly seep through the cracks over and over and over, over the years, over the months, Indeed, right up until catastrophic failure. You see, the failures that we may hide from other people, 
the small denials of Christ that we may uh, seek to shield from the rest of our church family, they are known to God. And when your faith in Christ, whenever your sin slowly eats away at your heart, whenever your shortcomings slowly erode away your conscience, my friend, it is only a matter of time before the dam breaks and your failure spills out into the open. Our small denials lead to large failures. But not only do our small denials lead to large failures, I see also that Jesus prevails over falsehood. Jesus prevails over falsehood. At this point, we have to understand that this trial was an illegal trial. There was nothing legitimate at all about this gathering of the Sanhedrin. There was this trial gathered together in an illegal fashion at an illegal time with illegal witnesses. This was a fake trial. The Jews could not hold trials at night. It was not legally allowed in their law. John MacArthur notes that the Jewish law held that you cannot ask a question of the accused that if they answered would incriminate themselves. We have something similar in our United States Constitution. It's called the Fifth Amendment. You might have heard somebody say, I plead the Fifth in order to not incriminate themselves. The Jewish law was similar in the way that you could not ask a question of the accused because if they answered, it would incriminate themselves. What do we find here in verse number 19? The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. This was illegal. You could not ask a question directly of the accused. The high priest is breaking the law. This is not really a trial at all. In fact, we know that the verdict has already been settled. You know the story. Jesus is standing trial. He is standing there in front of this entire council. Uh, in fact, the, the, the high priest, the, the, the person that has got the, the, the authority in the room, his name is Annas, and he is asking Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. But we know that Annas is not really concerned about finding out more about Jesus. No, we know that at least twice in the past, Jesus has disrupted Annas' income streams. We find in John chapter 2 and also in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus cleanses the temple twice. Annas was making loads of money off of the animals and the money changing and the currency exchanges that were happening in the temple. Annas has, has, as archaeological digs have revealed, Annas had a very large palace. He was a wealthy man because he was making money off of God's business. And he did not like that this rogue rabbi, Jesus from Nazareth, was disrupting his income stream. And so he needed to find a way that he could get rid of Jesus. He starts asking Jesus, incriminating questions, but I want you to notice something about our Lord this morning, folks. Jesus has no accusations that will stick to him. Verse number 20, Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret, I have said nothing. Jesus is not hiding the ball here. He's not telling them, look, I preach to you guys over and over and over again, and you refuse to hear my message. 
He's not secretly organizing an uprising against the Sanhedrin. He's not uh, secretly going around sowing division so that he can overthrow the Jewish religious elites. He's just been preaching. He's just been telling everybody about himself. If you find something false in that, he says, bear witness of the evil. But if not, why are you accusing me? In verse 22, they're getting agitated. Jesus says, and when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like this? The audacity. Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? This was a little bit puzzling to me as I was studying it this week, and uh, I consulted a couple of other commentaries, and one of them made this comment. He said, Jesus, for his part, did not insult the high priest, but he did challenge the illegality of both the action of his official in striking him and his interrogation of the accused instead of witnesses. There appear to have been no witnesses in this trial. Jesus demanded an explanation for the actions taken against him. Jesus knows, of course, that they have no case. The witnesses that are recorded in the book of Luke don't agree with each other. In fact, they are so frustrated with trying to get Jesus an accusation to stick against him that they finally resort to just letting Jesus speak for himself. And Jesus says to them, in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he ends up saying, I am the Son of God. They have no need of witnesses. They have no need of this illegal trial. They have no need of any of these clownish proceedings. Jesus announces to them what he has always said to them. He is the Messiah. Annas had no answer, I quote, Annas had no answer to Jesus' challenge to the legality of the treatment meted out to him, and therefore Jesus emerged as the winner in this episode of challenge and repost. He had, been sha- he had not been shamed by Annas or his officials. Then Annas sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. This appears to be a tacit recognition that they had no case against him. <laughs> in our text, Annas does not have a response. Look at verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus speaks. The officer slaps him. Then verse 24, Annas doesn't say anything else. He says, he sends him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Annas has seen enough. He knows in his heart that there is no accusation to be held up against Jesus. There is nothing that is going to stick other than the fact that Jesus said that he is the Son of God. He sends him bound to Caiaphas as the high priest. And Matthew 26, 67, a poignant image. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Did Jesus' disciples have failed him? The Sanhedrin is against him. And the abuse and the mistreatment has already begun for Jesus, and yet there he stands. 
Every slap he takes from the officers, every insult hurled at him, every punch thrown at his blindfolded face, Jesus takes every blow when every one of those blows should have been for Peter. Peter denies Jesus in the first half of our passage here, and then John inserts this passage, that the officer slaps him. Put yourself in Peter's shoes at this moment. Peter is watching all of this. The the high priest's courtyard was a very large courtyard. It was very wide. There was a lot of space. The the columns, in between the columns were, were the fires where the servants and the officers were warming themselves. And Peter is warming himself on the fire, and he's looking over as they try Jesus. And he hears the smack as the officer hits Jesus. And Peter winces. And he knows that he has already denied Jesus once. And as they lead Jesus, perhaps past Peter, onto Caiaphas' section of the residence, Peter cannot help but turn further into the fire and warm himself, leading to his recognition by the other servants. Everything has gone wrong. John sits there. He doesn't say anything. He sits there dumbfounded, silent, reeling in shock as Jesus is then sent on to Caiaphas. And he must be thinking to himself, as we all would be thinking, this can't be happening. This isn't supposed to be happening. This has got to be a bad dream. What about all the miracles, Jesus? What about all the healings? What about all the teachings about the coming kingdom? Aren't you going to do anything, Jesus? And there Jesus stands, bold, unretreating, with the ability, I might add, to destroy, to speak and to destroy his enemies. And yet he knows he can't do that. Why? Because if he did that, you nor I this morning would have a pathway to salvation. He knows that he must go through with the Father's plan, or this will all be for nothing. It was necessary for Jesus to go through and stand trial in the place of Peter. You know, a bar of soap is only made for one purpose, to clean things. Uh, But it cannot clean something without being expended in and of itself. The plan for a bar of soap from the beginning of its creation is that if it has done its job, it eventually will be used up. It cannot accomplish its purpose without giving itself up. So Jesus, the perfect and sinless Lamb of God, went through this trial. He went through this crucifixion. Why? Because it is the only way that you and I can become clean. Jesus is our sacrificial Lamb. Our small denials lead to large failures. Secondly, Jesus prevails over the falsehood. But finally, I want you to see this morning that ashamed disciples do not have to remain estranged disciples. You might think to yourself that this is kind of a sad ending, and indeed it is. It is sobering. We have seen that our sin leads to great failures. And my friend, if that is where you stay That is most unfortunate because if we look ahead to John chapter 21, Jesus restores Peter. 
If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21, verse number 15. Jesus has risen at this point. He has gone through crucifixion. He has risen from the dead. He has cooked breakfast for the disciples. And he, and he, he comes to them in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus, you know, you know that I love you. And Lord, can we just get past the, can we just get past the day that I denied you three times? Can you, can you not ask me three times if I love you? We all, we know that I love you, Lord. Jesus asks again and again and again, Peter, do you love me? Do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Do you, after your failures, wallow in self-pity, or do you claim the forgiveness that is available to you in Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus can restore you and forgive you and place you back into fellowship with him? You see, the difference between Peter and Judas was this. Judas was remorseful while Peter was repentant. In Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5, we find the result in the end of Judas. The Bible says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Two disciples. Two men. Same temptations. Same lifestyles. Same time spent with Jesus. And one was restored and one was not. You know, this morning, church, no failure of yours is so bad that Jesus can't restore you. It might take Jesus a couple of visits. It might take him a few times of getting you to the point where you come back to him. But know this, Jesus always wants you back. Your sin is not divorced from earthly consequences. Don't get me wrong there, my friend. You may have to go through some counseling. You might have to go through uh, some jail time. You may well have to go through rehab. You might have to spend the next several years paying off debts. You might have to figure out how to repair this fractured relationship. But know this, you will not have to spend any effort on your part to get Jesus to take you back. 
Jesus will always restore you. There is no cooling off period with Jesus. He'll meet you where you are. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. He will use you. Judas, on the other hand, quickly realizes how evil his act of betrayal is, and he asks himself, what have I done? What have I done? And Judas tries to seek redemption. He tries to seek forgiveness. He tries to make amends by going and running to the wrong people. Peter goes fishing in John chapter 21. He sees Jesus. He jumps into the water and he makes a beeline to the Lord of all creation. Judas realizes his betrayal. He throws the bag of money. He makes a beeline to the very people that could do nothing to save him. He throws the money down, tries to make amends. He tries to tell them, I, this is wrong. I've not, I, I have betrayed innocent blood in the Sanhedrin. They have no sympathy for him. They got what they wanted. Judas no longer matters. You see, Judas did not go back to the right person to find redemption. And Peter found redemption in Jesus. Who are you this morning? We have all failed Jesus Christ at some point in our lives. We have all denied him before. We have all betrayed him before. We have all sinned before God Almighty before. Are you Peter or are you Judas? Christopher and Peter Hitchens some of you may know these names. Christopher and Peter Hitchens were born two years apart, one in 1949 and one in 1951 in England. And they grew up in a Christian household, but before they became adults, both of them rejected Christ, both of them became staunch atheists, and Christopher would go on to become one of the most outspoken atheists in the 21st century. And he wrote a book, one of which is called God is Not Great. While the other brother, Peter, returned to faith in Christ in his 30s and has since then become a devoted member of his church in England. You see, they were even estranged for a time because of their such diametrically opposed viewpoints. Christopher remained a staunch anti-theist until the day he died of cancer in 2011. Peter is still alive and is still an active member of his church. Both brothers, both familiar with the things of God, both grew up in Christian backgrounds, both renouncing Christianity, both denying Jesus and theism, but only one was restored, only one was saved. This sad story, Peter writes about his brother shortly after he died, and I quote, My brother possessed this virtue, courage, to the very end. And if I often disagreed with the purpose for which he used it, I never doubted the quality or ceased to admire it. Sadly, that would be the only good thing that he would have to say about his dead brother. Because Christopher remained a staunch atheist until the very day of his death. Sadly, we do not believe that he is in heaven today. Peter, on the other hand, accepted Christ. He still writes, he still argues for the truth of Christianity, 
he is still out there trying to make a difference for those of us that still have yet to decide whether Jesus is our Savior or not. Friend, you do not have to remain in darkness. You do not have to remain unsaved, unforgiven, unrestored, or unreconciled to God. And you have a choice to make today. Those of us in the room that have accepted Christ, we have already believed that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We believe that Jesus took the penalty on the cross for our sins so that we could have a way for forgiveness and a home in heaven. And if you have not made that decision today or ever, can I plead with you this morning? Would you make that decision today? Would you accept Jesus today? Don't end your life like Judas. End your life in ministry the way Peter did. Down, but not out. Let's pray today. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word well, Lord, we know we are prone to have our wa- hearts wander from you, as we sang earlier today. We are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God that we love. Lord, but here is our heart today. Would you look in our hearts today in our church, God, and would you heal us? Would you expose the sin and the failings and the shortcomings that we each have that we are keeping from you, Lord? Help us to repent of those. And if there is somebody here today that does not know that you are their Savior, that you have forgiven them and all they have to do is believe in you and call on you and receive you, may they make that decision today, Lord. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed in in your seat there, I want you to ask yourself, am I Judas or am I Peter? We agree that we've all failed the Lord before, but are you wallowing in self-pity or are you asking to be restored? And if there is something in your heart that is between you and God, if there is something that is keeping you from maintaining the proper relationship with Jesus that you know you need, can I encourage you today to get that right? Whether it is a relationship that you need to mend, whether it is a thought or an action that you need to repent of, can I ask you today, would you get that right with God? Let's all stand together and You can pray in your seat. You can come kneel at the altar here if you want to. But we're going to stand and we're going to sing a very simple song that I think a lot of us know. It's called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And as we sing, I want you to determine in your heart, Yes, I may fail Jesus from time to time, but the trajectory of my life remains the same. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Worship team, would you lead us in this song? And I'm going to go get ready to baptize this morning. We're going to be able to baptize one person who has accepted Christ. But sing this out.
Sing from your heart. Worship the Lord. Decide to follow Jesus today.